If you're looking for a snack that packs a punch, look no further than Avinola, a granola that can be taken on the go and it's so versatile that it can be eaten as a snack or as a meal. We love Avinola because of its nutritional content. Lots of granolas have a high sugar content, but not Avinola. This granola is sweetened with monk fruit, so it actually doesn't spike your blood sugar, and it's a great option for those who may be diabetic or looking for a low sugar alternative compared to other granolas. I mean, what could be better than a granola that only has one gram of sugar? Not to mention it's keto approved. So that means it's only got one gram of carbohydrates. And this is because it's made with lupini beans. And y'all, I have to tell you right now, I would have no idea this wasn't made from a grain because it tastes so good. So go grab yourself a bag of Avinola at avi-foods.com and upgrade your granola fix right now. Use our code PILOTSPANDEMIC for 15% off your first order. Hey, my name's Emma. Hey, my name's Maddie. And you're listening to The Pilot's Pandemic. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to this week's episode of The Pilot's Pandemic podcast. You're here with your host, Emma, and our beautiful, lovely co-host, Maddie. Hi, everyone. And this week, we are joined with our guest, Jake Nelson. Did I get it right? You sure did. Hello, everybody. Hi, Jake. Thank you so much for joining us. Some of you may know Jake on Instagram at flyjake, but Jake is an airline pilot CFI, as well as a beautiful and very, very talented singer. And I'm so excited to talk to you today, Jake. Um, Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It really is an honor. Oh, thank you. So- If you've listened to the show, you know, and everyone out there listening with our guests, we always ask, like, at the beginning of the episode, how did your aviation journey start? And for you, like, were there any types of jobs or volunteer work that you did that kind of set you on the path of being becoming an airline pilot? Yeah, so interestingly enough, my aviation journey, like I didn't always know that I wanted to be a pilot, right? I, uh, I grew up in Los Angeles and my mom says that I basically came out of the womb singing. Right. (laughs) So, um, I was like, I had, as a kid, my dream job was like, I'm going to go on the road and be Winona Judd's backup singer. Like that was, that was the goal. Right. Um, but you know, growing up in LA, you kind of get two choices. You either get like sports or kid acting. So I went the kid acting route and I, you know, ended up hooking up with a manager. And so I had like a manager when I was like nine years old and an agent the whole nine. And so I was doing commercials and, and stuff like that. Actually, the first commercial I ever filmed was for a very young JetBlue Airways at the time. So we filmed it at Long Beach Airport, super cool. But anyway, I would also, um, you know, get hired to go sing at different places. And so I did like national anthems for mall openings and whatever. Oh but my I God. getting so you were yeah. a child star. We should have added that to the intro yeah. <laughs> as well as child star. I wouldn't go that far, but you know, it was cool. Like I, I got to do some stuff as a kid and help pay for part of college anyway, and had a great time doing that. But one day I had gotten the call and I grew up near Edwards air force base, um, which is like where all the test pilots are and like the space shuttle landed there and stuff. So I always grew up seeing cool stuff fly over me. And I was like, that's good. Airplanes are kind of neat, you know? All right. So I got the call to go sing the national anthem for the graduation of the Edwards Air Force Base Test Pilot School. And so I went there and I sang the national anthem and this kind of group of pilots um, 
basically just kind of fell in love with me. And they were like, wow, this grid's so cool, you know? And I had made the offhand comment that like, man, like planes are kind of cool, you know, like maybe I want to be a pilot one day. And so my mom got a phone call about a week later and they're like, hey, meet us at Foxfield Airport, which is like my home airport. And they ended up taking me uh, on a Young Eagles flight and I got to like fly over my school and like fly over my hometown in a little Cessna. And that was the moment that the aviation bug hit me. Um, that oh was like, God. there's a little picture of little Jake, like with his hands on the controls. And I'm just like, I look and I just know in my eyeballs, like that's, that's where I, where I wanted to be a pilot. Right. That, that's so a from that point, moment. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And that moment, I mean, absolutely changed the trajectory of what I wanted to do. So like, I was very fortunate to have that bug hit me pretty early. I think it was like nine or 10 years old, something like that. Um, and so from there, I just started working towards wanting to become a pilot. So I ended up going to, um, Arizona State University and did all my flight training there. Um, and then I actually moved back to Los Angeles for a little bit. I ended up getting a job. Uh, my parents were both in law enforcement and I found a job where I was uh, flying on behalf of LA County Sheriff's Department and I was chasing bad guys in Cessnas. Um, and so that was like my time building gig and it was really fun. So I would instruct during the day at Edwards Air Force Base. Uh, they have like a little aero club, which is actually where, and that's a cool story too, where the same airplane that I had my young Eagles flight in, fast forward like 10 years later, I CFI'd at that flight school. And my very first day as a flight instructor, I got to teach in that exact same oh tail number. Oh my God. That's like a full circle moment. I totally. love this. This has got to be one of the coolest like intros to aviation stories <laughs> yeah. we have quite possibly heard. This is like blowing my socks off. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where I was like, this is amazing. Right. So I did that. I, I worked for the sheriff's department. I CFI'd. And then I finally got enough flight time to go to a regional airline. Um, so I ended up flying at that regional airline for about seven years. Um, and then I, uh, you know, upgraded to captain the whole nine yards. And then I had a very short but sweet stint at a low cost carrier flying the Airbus, mm. um, a very bright yellow one. I'll just say that. <laughs> uh, oh, and, then, that yeah. <laughs> and then I ended up, um, you know, at my dream, um, my dream major airline. And so now um, I am not only a first officer on the 757, but I also uh, teach and work in the stimulators. So, um, a kind of giving back in that full circle teaching moment, you know? Um, so that's what we're today. Yeah. That's such a cool story. Um, I don't think we touched on that when we had our conversation with you that you had flown for the sheriff's department. So that's like really different because I don't think I've heard of anyone flying for them. Um, but with you going into the airlines, since you hopped from the regionals, low cost, and then onto your main line, like what has been your favorite part about being an airline pilot? Well, you know, obviously the people and the adventures of it are what really make the airline pilot job so cool. You know, I obviously sent being seven years at the regional airline, I, it's kind of like the Johnny Cash song, you know, I've been everywhere. Um, <laughs> Yes. You know, and obviously probably not a shocker to anybody, but I'm kind of a people person, right? So that yeah. part's great. And then also a foodie. So I love getting to explore new places all the time and trying out the local fare. Um, but now I get to do that like on a global scale, right? Um, and especially with social media, like I had the chance to fly a couple of weeks ago to Amsterdam and I got to meet up with an internet friend who's also a pilot, but he lives in the Netherlands. 
And I'm like, in what other line of work could I be flying like amazing airplanes, going to amazing places? And then after I land, I get to go explore Amsterdam on a bike and like eat all of the food. Like they, they pay me for this. It's incredible. So that's definitely my favorite part. <laughs> yeah. It, it's funny, like the, the friendships and the relationships that you create within the aviation industry, they're so different from any other type of community, in my opinion. Like people just don't realize, like when I explain Maddie and I's friendship, like to certain people, I just don't think they like quite understand it, but it's like, you don't, when you're in aviation, you're able to see each other and able to work things out. And people are always on some crazy different side of the globe. You can create these amazing, fantastic friendships that really last a lifetime. I mean, all of the friendships that my mom and my dad made at the airlines, they still have kept to this day. And I'm still in contact with a lot of my father's friends. So those are friendships that really last for a while. And it's, that's just so interesting. Also food, like you got me at the food part. I think of trying different food from different places is quite possibly my favorite thing. And one of my favorite parts about my last trip that I just had when I went to go visit Maddie in Washington, um, all the food there was just incredible. And it really makes you think like, that's an incredible way to form memories too, is through food and smells and all of that, all those senses. So anyways, I'm going well, to- And the connection- <laughs> Well, that's okay. Yes. Yeah. And the connection that you have with people, I mean, obviously getting to share a meal with somebody is just, uh, you know, one of the most intimate things that we can do. And so yeah. for me, like that totally fills my social battery. So all oh, about it. I love that. I did want to ask before I asked my number three, and I know I'm getting distracted, but you said you, so you're flying Cessna's chasing after bad guys. Does that mean that when I pass those signs on the highways that say like speed monitored by aircraft, are there actually like aircraft monitoring the speed or is that just like a dummy thing? No, that's totally a thing. So that was not my line of work. So that's more in California. Anyway, that'd be the, the responsibility of California highway patrol, highway patrol yeah. but they actually fly over and they like have a timer and they have those lines on the ground. And so they they do some math and they're like, okay, well, if they cross this line and this line, and it only took them X number of seconds, they must be traveling at this speed. So oh my mm -hmm. God. that's where I that algebra that. comes in handy, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I I did not know that. I did not know that. I totally thought that had to be like, um, just like, I don't know, a lie or like maybe they just said that to spook us. I saw a meme like years ago. It's a fake, iconic Facebook meme, but it, it has that sign. And then uh, the picture is like a highway. And then there's a gap in the woods right off the side of the road. And there's like a like, I don't know, some kind of fighter pilot jet, like sitting right there. And it always cracks <laughs> me up every single time I see it. They had it in the, in the bathroom of our flight school, I think too. And it always cracks me up, but That's so so next... what you gonna do when Jay comes for you? For you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh my gosh. So my next question for you is when you began your career, were there any like challenges or difficulties that you might've not foreseen when you first started or gotten into the career? And if so, how did you navigate that? Oh, well, definitely. Um, well, you know, early on in my career, it was really eye-opening, like the starting pay of regional airline first officers, right? You know, you just came out of college. And so those student loans are like starting to breathe down your neck already. Um, I intentionally chose to be based in LA to try and reduce the overhead. You know, I was still like hanging out with mom and dad and they let me live at home, which was great. 
Um, but as you guys know, like Los Angeles is two hours away from Los Angeles. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I was spending a lot of time on reserve as a new guy, you know, basically I was sitting in my car in the grocery store parking lot near LAX just so that I can make sure I'd make reserve time call out, you know? <laughs> so it's very boring, very lonely and definitely not as glamorous as what I had pictured in my head. But, you know, you have this promise of like, it's all going to be worth it someday. You're going to get to a major airline and life's going to be amazing, right? So I'm doing this like highly technical job, very stressful job and giving it all of my time, all of my energy and like not a lot of money. And, you know, LA is just expensive and just existing there takes a toll on you. I was single, you know, no kid, just a huge amount of loan debt and just barely scraping by. And I, I couldn't imagine being married, having kids and being the sole breadwinner of a household, you know? So basically I tried to reclaim the time that I was giving away by like going hard when I had time off. Right. And this started the process of binge drinking pretty hard on days off. And I, you know, convinced myself that like, I earned a little treat, you know, you're working hard, you're, you're slaving away, you know, it's okay. But this pattern started to emerge and I, I didn't have time to be social. So I would basically just kind of like numb myself with alcohol, right? Really self-medicating um, the stress, the boredom, the loneliness, and things actually got worse when I upgraded to captain at my regional, right? I decided, okay, I'll move to Atlanta for the upgrade. And so now here I am, I'm living thousands of miles away from my support system in LA you know, and as the saying goes, mo money, mo problems, right? <laughs> oh, you know, I'm, I'm living basically where I can afford to live in Atlanta, which was not a great part of Atlanta. It was basically like immediately on top of the airport. Um, so this kind of vicious cycle started where I would fly for a few days and then I'd sit alone in my apartment on my days off with no social circle, no, you know, support system and just kind of drinking alone. And it really, really started to accelerate. And it started getting to the point where I just lost the ability to do anything other than drink. So I started calling off sick from work. I started up making excuses not to travel back to LA to see my family. Like I loved the comfort that drinking would bring me, but it came at like a huge cost. Like I didn't recognize myself anymore. You know, I knew I was sick, but I just couldn't stop this vicious cycle. You know, it would be, okay, go work a crappy four-day trip where they work you to the bone. You come home exhausted, so you pour yourself a drink, and that would launch into two days of binge drinking, or binge drinking, you know, and for two out of three of my days off, on the last day off, I would sober up and then just rinse, lather, repeat, and it was this cycle that I just could not break. I'm so glad that you kind of explained, like, the cycle and why... Um or where you got to um, the responsibility of being a captain, being away from home, because I think a lot of people think, oh, you know, someone becomes an alcoholic, but there is a process, I feel like, that happens before you start binge drinking, like you had explained. And for many people, I I just don't think they really think about that. There, there are things that start piling up as to why you, you choose to drink as much as you do. And so I did want to dive in into that a little bit more because I know that this brought you into the special issuance process. Um, so can you share with us like how that came about? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I just got to the point 
basically where I was sick and tired of being sick and tired all the time. The pilot part of me wants to fix problems, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, well, I know that people who drink a lot, like they usually end up in jail or dead and I don't want that, right? So I kind of started exploring recovery on my own, you know? And so I was kind of like hiding in the back of the room and just kind of listening in and like not really participating, but just kind of like, okay, well, we'll see what this is all about, you know? And it initially it scared me. I'm like, oh no, now I'm in this room with a bunch of people and they are talking about God. And I just like instantly shut down. I mean, you know, I'm a gay man, right? So religion has basically always said, yeah, we don't like you. And, you know, you're going to burn in hell and you're a sinner and like, you don't belong here. You don't have a place here. So I kept hearing the word God in the room and I'm like, well, that's not for me. This is a cult, right? So I never really gave it a chance. But the problem is, you know, it, it kept getting worse and worse. And I was clearly emotionally bankrupt, but then actual health started, problems started to happen. You know, like my, my primary care physician was like, dude, your liver enzymes are like off the chart, you know? Um, and also weight wise, I was like the heaviest I'd ever been in my life. So again, I look in the mirror and I just was like, Ugh, you know, which of course makes you want to drink more because you're just like, oh, God, you know, <laughs> and I was just cycle. totally right. And I just was constantly exhausted, you know, and I, you know, I knew something had to change. Um, so I, I heard about the hymns program. And by that, I remember like the two minute speech and a PowerPoint slide from like basic in doc class when I was a baby first officer, right? Like they didn't really spend a lot of time on it. I just knew it kind of existed. And one night, I mean, obviously I was quite inebriated, um, but I ended up calling the HEMS hotline of my regional airline. And I know now that this moment is what we describe in, in recovery as a God shot, right? It just so happened that one of my best friends on the entire planet who also worked at my airline and he happened to work for like our pilot association, right? It was his weekend to man the cell phone for the HEMS hotline. So he answers the phone and he's like, oh, hello, Jake. And obviously I like came up on caller ID, right? And so like, I immediately started freaking out. I'm like, oh my God, Kyle, hi, how's it going, bud? You know? And I started down this path of like, uh, you know, I've got this first officer I'm like super worried about, man. And like, how do I get him into treatment? And, you know, like, what, what do we do? You know? And he just kind of softly chuckled and very warmly and very invitingly was like, so Jake, when would you like to start treatment? And that was one of those moments where I just knew in my soul, I'm like, okay, this is, this is the right path for me. So Basically, that day is when I officially entered the HIMSS program, and that's where the journey to recovery started right there. Was that the day you decided to get sober, the same day? Yeah. I mean, I I had been kind of flirting with the idea um, for a while, um, but that was kind of what pushed me over the edge of, like, part of it was a little bit of embarrassment because, like, okay, well, if Kyle is like not even batting an eyelash at this, right? He probably knows I drink way too much, right? It's like, okay, it's not just in my head, right? Like other people Mm -hmm. see it. Mm -hmm. And so, like I said, I'm eternally grateful for that call um, because I probably would have found a way to like weasel out of it if it was anybody else other than my friend, Kyle. 
Yeah. I was going to say it probably when you're, when your friends hold you accountable for something, it really changes the, um, changes the game, uh, changes the prospects, you know, like I, I've always felt that in my life, like with friends, family, when I say something to them or they call me out on my bullshit and forgive my French, but it really, (laughs) it really is that when they call me out on my BS, I feel a lot more inclined to fix or solve whatever that situation is. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm so, gr- I, I know you're so grateful. I'm so grateful that it happened to be a friend and what a like, I don't know, just what an alignment of stars that is. I just, I can't really think of a, a more beautiful gift, but it, what you were saying about AA, I know that's gotta be intensely difficult. And I feel like I've talked to a couple of people who have kind of struggled with the idea of AA because of the religion aspect. And I know we don't have this down, but was that something that you were able to kind of push past and you realized like those people weren't holding that judgment against you or was it a different feeling? Well, you know, eventually, so yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get there eventually, but you know, I, I obviously got into recovery and my very first sponsor was this wonderful woman, right? Which is kind of an unusual thing because in in my recovery program, uh, they typically want you to have a sponsor that's your same gender, right? Well, for me, like I was still kind of in this process of like coming out to the world really. Um, and like, I didn't want the whole like hassle of changing pronouns and whatnot. Like when I was telling my story about people like this person broke my heart, blah, blah, blah. So like I ended up connecting with this woman and just absolutely incredible. And she's like, honey, you know, we, we can come up with our own conception of a higher power, right? Like you don't have to subscribe to like the Catholic church version of God or whatever the case might be. Right. Um, so she's like, you know, she, she's like, I call mine the universe and she's a, she's a girl because I said so. And I'm like, you know what, that works for me. So like, I'm able to kind of replace that word God with the word universe to me. And like, I get it now where like, I get what they're trying to say. They just didn't have a a better way of describing that higher power. And so like, if that works for some people, great. You know what I mean? But for me, I call her the universe too. And that's just how I approach my recovery. So I definitely believe that that phone call, you know, was stars aligning or the universe telling me, Hey, this is what you need, Mr. Jake. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, as a lot of people listening probably know, once once you enter the special issuance pathway for something like an alcohol or alcoholism, you're going to be going into the HIMSS program. And yeah. correct me on my verbiage if I'm wrong on this. I want to be so sensitive to it. I've grown up um, with alcoholism is a big part of my family. Um, I don't want to call you an alcoholic. Like, like I, you know what I mean? Um, so forgive me if I'm, if I'm misstepping or if I don't know, like what terms you would like. No, I, I totally, yeah. I totally identify as an alcoholic. Absolutely. Like for sure. I just, I'm really careful about talking about like what recovery group I belong to. So there are several out there. And on the basis of anonymity, like I just am more of like, I belong to a recovery group. So, but I am through and through an alcoholic. I just didn't want to offend you or like say something that would like rub you in the wrong way. That's always like my biggest thing is like, uh, like my verbiage. I don't know. I, you, you know, some people are sensitive to different things, but I just wanted to make sure yeah. I'm not overstepping, but no, so- not at all. My original thought and where I was going with that is like most people know once you've kind of admitted this or gone about the process like you did, 
you're kind of put into the hymns program and we've spoken about the hymns program a lot on the show but i feel like you can never really talk about it enough everyone yeah. has such a unique um experience but what were some of the tests and the requirements that you had to do in order to meet um the requ- the requirements or the standards of the hymns program yeah so i mean first and foremost the airline made it very very easy for me right like they literally had a driver show up at my door the next day. And like, I had a positive space ticket to this recovery center and we were off and running. Um, so I entered a 28 day residential treatment program. Um, and it was honestly one of the most beautiful things of my life. You know, I was in this treatment center with other pilots and flight attendants. They have a, a similar program called FADAP. So it's basically the same thing as HIMS, but you know, HIMS is to pilots as FADAP is to flight attendants. Um, you know, so I got paired up with a therapist um, who also happened to be a gay man, and I was really able to start digging into the why behind why I was binging so much, right? So 10 out of 10 would recommend to everybody, including even non-alcoholics, right? But basically, upon leaving the treatment center, then you start this process called 90 and 90. So 90 recovery meetings over the course of 90 days. And that's kind of where my roots got settled into my recovery um, uh, network, right? So that's like where I started. I got my sponsor um, and I started working the program and working my way through the 12 steps. Um, So it took about six months before I kind of started the official special issuance process with the FAA and the AME. Um, So in addition to the recovery center time and the 9090, they had me attend aftercare which is like a once a week, basically a recovery meeting that's like led by a therapist. So they like keep official attendance and then they do weekly drug and alcohol urine testing. And so I did that for a couple of months. And then finally my Amy's like, okay, I think sufficient time has elapsed. Um, So they sent me to talk with an independent psychologist and we did like a three hour long, basically just kind of recap of everything up to that point and kind of making sure, okay, yes, you're okay, right? You're stabilized, right? And then finally, um, I had to take the neurocognitive screening, which was an out-of-pocket cost of about seven grand. Um, Mm. And it's probably most like the most intense SATs you've ever taken in your life, um, with the caveat that if you don't pass them, uh, you never get to fly airplanes ever again, right? So walking into that room was like the most stressful time of my entire life. Um, I, ironically, one of the results of the test was like, I'm not very good at math. And I'm like, well, I didn't have to pay you seven grand to tell you that. Like I knew that, <laughs> um, but you know, it, it is what it is. So, and I guess that's kind of a small tangent. Like my company didn't have any sort of short-term disability insurance. Right. So the only reason I didn't go bankrupt is because I paid into California state disability insurance. Um, and I go back to what I talked about earlier about imagine if you're the sole breadwinner in this process, right? Mm -hmm. Like my mom and dad are obviously not going to let me starve. Right. But imagine if I didn't have that lifeline and imagine if my insurance didn't kick in until like six months, which is what it would have been if I didn't have the short term through California, I would have had to wait till six months before I start getting, you know, pennies basically, you know? And, and so I go to, why would anybody want to get the help they need if they're going to go broke doing it? No, that's exactly my thoughts when you were saying that is like, when you have all of that hanging over your head, and then you're also dealing with an addiction, like, I, I just can't even imagine like, even for you, like, yes, you have your parents, you have a support system. It's still incredibly challenging to seek help. And then 
like you just said, imagine throwing all of that on top. Like I put myself in that situation. I don't think I'm going to like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like it literally puts the fear of God into me. And that's a hypothetical situation that I'm not in. I, you know, I watched my dad go through it and it was terrifying. Um, and, but I can't even imagine when you're dealing with like an addiction because you, I, I can imagine. And from what I've seen, what my family goes through, you do deal with a lot of guilt and shame. Um, and you're letting down yourself. And now you feel like you're letting down your family, which is such a combination of factors. Like I just, I really can't even imagine, but regardless of all those factors, just to be honest with yourself and, um, seek that help is, a real feat of um what, what's that courage just courage so I applaud you Jake I I appreciate it it's it's been the most difficult thing in my life that I've ever had to do um absolutely worth it I wouldn't trade the sobriety that I have now for anything right I mean the life that I have today just incredible you know so like <laughs> I'm not I'm not yeah. saying this to scare anybody like it's just the reality of the situation right of like you know a Again, I and I wish that this was more accessible to people, or that it was a little more streamlined. But I'm sure we'll yeah. we'll talk about that later too. But you know, anyway, um, you I know, wanted to point out too, Jake is like, I think it's so amazing that you took the step to go into the Hims program because I think a lot of pilots don't take that step to get into the Hims program. They get they get caught, and I think that is a testament to why things lined up the way that they did like your story has a lot of like what we call coincidences but I feel like that was like the magic of you choosing that for yourself um and so I think that's why everything has turned out so amazing for you and I and I can feel that from you like the positive positivity that you have and speaking about it um really shows how much effort and work you've you've put into the program um But I know like you even talking about it is just, it's very overwhelming thinking about all that you had to do to get to the point where you are now. And I know that you say that it was worth it. Um, And I believe that because of where you are now, but what is like your honest opinion about the hymns program? Um, maybe some of the things that you you loved about it and like the opposite end of like what maybe you didn't really care for or think should like disappear or you just it didn't sit right with you. Well, I, I and again, so yeah, very grateful for the hymns program. And I have no doubt in my mind that I would have eventually drank myself to death if I hadn't have yeah. pulled that fire alarm handle on myself, right? Is there room for improvement in the program? Uh, absolutely, right? My biggest criticism, you know, is I had the financial safety net to just be able to not work for a little bit of time, right? And by a little bit of time, I mean like two years. Um, mm-hmm. But disability basically covered, you know, my debts and pretty much nothing more. <laughs> you know, mom and dad gave me a place to live and they fed me. Um, but you know, kind of, and this is more of a, a comment on the American insurance system, but like that one of the stipulations of the insurance is that if you worked anywhere, they'd basically take what you made on your side hustle and then deduct it from your disability. So like you, there's no way for you to get to like a normal paycheck, right? Like I couldn't side yeah. hustle and like drive Uber eats or something. Like basically you just kind of get to that break even point. Um, you know, and so I, the, the process for me, you know, my Amy assembled the packet and then we submitted it to the FAA for special issuance approval. Um, 
And it took, like I said, just shy of two years from start to finish to get my medical back. I mean, that's two years of not being able to fly, two years of being on disability pay. And, you know, obviously my, my intention was to move up in the world as an airline pilot. So that's like two years of valuable flight time experience, which, you know, I wasn't getting, I was just sitting around doing nothing. My priority at the time obviously was getting better, but like delays in processing the paperwork in Oak city was just soul crushing. Um, you know, I basically had my packet into the FAA about six months after I got sober, but it took almost two years to get the okay to go back to work. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was under the impression that HEMS was kind of, you know, we're pilots, like we have QRHs, right? Like we have, if we have a problem on the airplane, right? We have a checklist that we can get the airplane stabilized and safe again, and then we continue on our way, right? So I was kind of under the impression that the HIMS program was kind of this, hey, we'll get you the help we need and we'll get you back flying ASAP. Um, and I think that if you really want people to use this program and get the help that they need, you have to make it attractive and doable for people. You know, otherwise, I fear that people are going to balk at how long it takes and not seek help on their own. They, they're eventually going to end up in the HIMSS program, like, but it's not going to be because of a self-admit. They're going to get there because they showed up drunk to work or they got a DUI or something like that. So mm-hmm. that's probably my chief complaint is the length of time that this thing takes. Like, I did the hard work. I, I put my money in. I have skin in the game let me do my thing. Like I was put on this earth to fly airplanes. And so being sidelined for two years was just, oh. Yeah. When you, when you factor in the amount of time and then the fact that you have some of these tests, like you mentioned, or make or break, you either you pass and you get to fly again, you don't pass, you're not flying again. It really starts to feel a little bit like a jail, like a, like a prison sentence. You know what I mean? And when you have like when you're, when you're creating that vibe, nobody's, you know, who wants to sign up for that? You know, like it really yeah, takes sign a, up lot for of, a lifetime of parole here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it takes a lot of grit to like even get to that point. It's just, Oh, I, I can't even imagine. Like when we originally talked like so much about what you were telling me, it just really reminds me of like punishment. You know what I mean? Um, and they have got to change the vibe on that. I don't really don't know how they're going to do it. I think I think creating like we've talked about the cog screen test so many times, like things like that, in my opinion, are very inadequate when it comes to seeing how somebody operates and seeing if they're fit to fly. Put the person in a simulator or go up with the person in a plane and actually watch them fly, watch them operate, um, give people more benefit of the doubt, especially folks that are, you know, self-admitting and saying, I have a problem. Um, I think that should go a little ways in your book, but yeah. Anyways. Well, and again, and I'm not asking for an easier, softer path in terms of the recovery part, right? Like I still have to put the work in for the recovery part to make this work, right? If I don't do the work, this none of the sobriety stuff happens, right? Mm-hmm. But in terms of being able to, you know, get back and have a coming from a place of stability to do this, and you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I wish there was some sort of like practical test for this stuff versus just this, you know, I mean, it, <laughs> I remember it was this like, you know, 14 story tall building, very cold office building in Long Beach where I finally did the the neurocog thing. And like, I was in the elevator and I'm like hyperventilating. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, oh my God, like I know the gravity of this situation. And again, and you're right, it felt 
a little bit like punishment versus like, Hey, we're, we're glad you're doing the right thing. Let's help you get the help you need. It's like, okay, well, yeah, you're an alcoholic. So buy the book, you got to do X, Y, Z. And if you don't, then uh, good luck. You're out on your own. Yeah. That's where it felt really not great. Mm. I can, I cannot even imagine, but I mean, it kind of leads me to my next question. Have you witnessed any pilots drop out of the HIMSS program? And what do you believe were their reasonings, reasons for leaving? Sorry, reasonings, the Southern coming out me. Lord mercy. <laughs> well, I do declare. Yeah. Um, no, I haven't seen anyone like drop out once they're in kind of deal. Um, I have absolutely seen people who didn't get here voluntarily and then just kind of not do it. Right. So the story that sticks out in my mind is I had a friend. Um, so during COVID, you know, my regional airline was offering like unpaid leaves of absences, right? Because the demand was down and it's like, well, you're not flying anyway. So why don't you take six months off and you can kind of do whatever you want to do. And then, you know, maybe we'll call you back one day. So he decided to do that. And, you know, he had a kid on the way and he just kind of wanted a breather from like the slog of regional flying. Um, And I will caveat this with like, I do not condone this, um, but he ended up using marijuana on his break, right? Not a good idea, but he did it. Okay. Well, wouldn't you know it, travel demand came back really sharply after vaccines rolled out and he got recalled back to work early, right? Uh Uh-oh. So now they're like, oh yeah, so it was part of your return to work process. Here's your drug test. Go take it before the end of the week or whatever. And so he's like, well, I know I'm going to pop positive for weed. So he just refused it, right? He's like, I'm not doing a drug test. And guess what? In the eyes of the feds, that's the same as failing. The test is refusing it, mm-hmm. right? So he was kind of given the choice of like, okay, well, hymns or bust. And, you know, he takes, he called me and he's crying, which is ugh, just soul crushing there too. Yeah. But he's like, you know, he saw the list of requirements and he's like, well, I think I'm just going to go sell mortgages instead of being a pilot. Oh my gosh. Wow. And so these people end up resigning and they just don't want to fight this battle. You know, I would be lying if there weren't points throughout my sobriety journey where I'm like, I am over this, right? (laughs) Like, is this worth it? You know, maybe I can just go back to school and be a nurse or something. I don't know. Right. Um, And I'm not saying that's the case today, but like definitely that thought crossed my mind where I'm like, my God, does this ever end? You know, Mm. Um, you know, and again, sobriety rocks, my dude, like it's, I am the happiest I've ever been in my life. And, you know, the promises of my recovery group have come true, you know, situations that used to baffle us, we will intuitively know how to handle, right? Like all of these things, like I didn't know how to take life on life's terms. And now I kind of have this rule book for how to, to get through life. And I was missing that before. Um, but you know, the threat of my livelihood being taken away from me at any given moment, because a piece of paperwork missing is just oh, like it, it makes me sick to my stomach. You know, I still choose sobriety. Yeah. It's, it's crazy because there's a lot, like even still now that, you know, we're not like, you know, that you still have to do and you're, and we're going to get into that, but you know, the process isn't over and I can imagine it brings a lot of anxiety. It's like, you can all, you almost, in my opinion, I would feel like I could almost never really feel 100% like, okay, I'm secure. I've got this, not necessarily, not in my sobriety, but in the fact that, okay, I'm doing everything right. I still can keep my job. There's always, I feel like when you're in the HIMSS program, that uh, like looming sense of like, 
oh my God, like we talked about, you know, you have to be very careful about certain things. Like you can't use vanilla extract that has alcohol in it. And a lot of, almost every single vanilla extract has alcohol in it. Kombucha has alcohol. There are a lot of things that have alcohol in them that you're always going, that's like a new part of your life. Um, I can't even imagine that. Uh, it's just, yeah. And, and yeah. And to that point, yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely changed the way that I approach, you know, being a foodie, right? Like, yeah, I like, like trying all kinds of different things. And so like, yeah, I have to like ask the chef. I'm like, Hey, is there any alcohol in this? Like, do you have any food allergies at the table? I'm like, yeah, alcohol, (laughs) you know? I mean, that's, that's kind of the old recovery joke is like, do you have any allergies? Yeah. Alcohol. I break out in handcuffs. Har, har, har. (laughs) Um, But, you know, but like legit, I have to think about that stuff. And especially with the type of testing that we do, you know, like different programs are different. So like at my current place of employment, um, you know, they have like a, a breathalyzer requirement as well. Um, so like now I breathalyze twice a day as well, even though I've been sober for five years at this point. So it's, it's kind of funny, like, okay, you know, I'll do it. It's fine. And and honestly, it's an extra layer of like protect myself because like, Hey, I have proof in a digital device that like, I haven't drank. Right. So yeah, I get that the, there's pros and cons to it, but like you said, I, you know, I had an incident with that where my grandpa bless his heart. I was up at his house in Idaho and he made me some waffles before I left for the airport and it had vanilla extract in it. And so like, I blew a very, very teeny amount. It was like 0.0001 or something, but it's greater than zero. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was like, oh my God. So like that anxiety of just like, oh my God, like I blew this, like what happened, like what happens now? It ended up being a a non-event, you know what I mean? But it still scared me. (laughs) Like, oh my God. You just never know. Right. Yeah. Can I ask, and I know you have a question, Maddie, but I really do want to ask, and you can answer short is, do people get into the HIMSS program? Like if they pop positive for pot, (laughs) pop positive for pot or marijuana use, like, is that something that can get you into the HIMSS program? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the uh, the difference would be kind of what recovery group that you attend, right? So like okay. I obviously identify as an alcoholic, so I go to the appropriate um, recovery group for that. Um, but then other people might go to like Narcotics Anonymous or whatever the case might be, you know? And a lot of the people I've seen, it's not even necessarily illicit drugs, right? It's people yeah. that this is the whole opioid crisis um, where people were prescribed something, you know, legitimately for an injury or something like that. And then they just never get off of it. So there are multiple ways where, you know, if you pop positive on a test for, let's say, I don't know, Vicodin, right. Mm. Something totally legit, you know, for a a surgery, if you don't have the paperwork to back up that like, yes, I was legally prescribed this, right. Then that's a DOT fail on a test. Yeah. So that is definitely a way to get into hymns. I thought also you're not even allowed to operate heavy equipment on painkillers. So, oh no, for sure. You're not like I'm saying you're not supposed to, but like, you know, like for instance, I had, and that was one thing that was challenging for me is, you know, I had, (laughs) I was actually already back. So back to work, I'm in recovery, life is going good. I'm uh, doing some recruitment stuff for my regional airline. And as I'm getting on the airplane to deadhead back home, I'm like, my tummy doesn't feel good. You know, like, I'm oh, well, great. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out my freaking appendix burst, right? Oh, oh my God. God. And I had no idea. So like, I was like, okay, I'll go to the doctor in the morning if I don't feel well. I was living in Texas at the time. And so their emergency rooms are like separate from the hospital. So I go to the emergency room and they're like, uh, yeah, like your, 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 your appendix is gone. Right. I'm like, oh God. So they like roll me in an ambulance, which was a whole other Oprah, but, um, <laughs> you know, and so like. 
the doctor's getting ready. Like the surgeon comes in and he's kind of talking to me and I like look him dead in the eye and I'm like, Hey, listen to me right now. I am in recovery and like, you got to do what you got to do, but like, let's limit the use of narcotics as much as practical. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they did that, but like, I still obviously, you know, had to take some, some pretty heavy duty painkillers because they cut me open, you know? So, you know, thankfully he was a a godsend. Like he was an awesome surgeon and like totally understood where I was coming from. So like he wrote this really nice letter for the FAA that was like, Hey, this is what happened. I had no choice, but to use narcotics, blah, 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 blah. And so like I was covered paperwork wise, the FAA had no issue with it. It was fine. But like, I could see that being an issue, you know, for people, if you don't have the paperwork to back that up then like, Oh God. Uh Uh-huh. Definitely. Um, I was gonna skip over to your question, Emma, just because we have a, we only have 15 minutes before we have to record with our next guest. Um, but I really wanted to ask this question because I don't think a lot of people think about the HIMSS program and how long they have to be in the HIMSS program. So they just enacted a rule in 2020 that said, if you become a part of the HIMSS program, you are a lifelong member. And I wanted to know your personal opinions on this new rule, just because we've had a few people come on who have really been against the lifelong rule. And um, as someone who is happy to be in the HIMSS program, I just want to hear what you had to say. Well, you know, initially, obviously I was crushed. Um, I was kind of already in HIMSS at this point. So like, I can't really do anything, right? I can't not elect to go into HIMSS at this point. I've already rung that bell. Um, But I was about three weeks from when I expected to get my special issuance um, when they announced it. And I just felt like somebody pulled the rug out from underneath me. Um, You know, I felt even worse for my peers who were like three months from quote unquote graduating the program. And now they're in it for life, right? Mm -hmm. So that being said, I, I see it as a blessing now. You know, I have no intention to ever drink again. There's so much oversight from the FAA in terms of sobriety. In a weird way, it's kind of like a security blanket to me. Um. In the airline world, we have this thing called the Swiss cheese model, right? We use the Swiss cheese model normally to talk about safety systems. Having multiple layers of security measures keeps us from having accidents, right? So using checklists consistently is a safety layer. Having pilots eat two separate meals on the flight deck is a safety layer. Having a dispatcher verify your flight plans, that's another layer. You get the idea. So imagine in your mind for a moment about slices of holy Swiss cheese. So let's say that I have a laser pointer, the kind that you'd like tease, you know, a cat or in my case, a pug with, right? (laughs) Uh, if, If I have one singular slice of cheese, the odds are pretty good that my laser beam is gonna pass through the holes of that slice of cheese. But if I have several layers of cheese stacked on top of each other and their respective holes in different places, right? The laser might pass through a couple of layers of cheese, but it's not gonna make it all the way through to the other side. So if the laser makes it through to the other side, that's when an accident happens, if we're talking about you know accident investigation stuff. But in the case of an alcoholic, that's when you're going to have your first drink. So I like to think of all the things I do in recovery as slices of Swiss cheese, right? Meetings, that's a slice. Talking to my sponsor regularly, that's a slice of cheese. Having commitments, um, you know, and even having the FAA oversee some of this process of sobriety adds several layers of Swiss cheese. You know, part of the requirements for the FAA stuff is you're regularly talking with your AME, you're checking in monthly with your chief pilot of the company, 
Um, you have a meeting every month with other pilots at your airline that are also in the HIMSS program. So you kind of have that social connection with other people that are experiencing the, the same things that you are. And so all of those are, are slices of cheese to me. So of course, at first I'm like, dude, this blows, right? <laughs> like, I don't want this amount of oversight for the entirety of my life. I'm, you know, as we said earlier, I'm not on parole, right? Yeah. But now that I'm older and wiser and having experienced this spiritual growth, I, I do see it as a good idea. And now that I've seen the final language of the rule change, the oversight kind of gradually steps off as you progress through the program. So like I'm getting ready in December, you know, good Lord willing it and the creek don't rise. I will be able to submit for the final level of the HIMS step down, which basically brings it back to pretty, like you talk to a HIMS Amy every six months still, I, I think anyway, maybe it's a year. I don't remember exactly. Um, but a lot of the other stuff kind of falls off. So basically my requirements end up being continue going to my sobriety meetings, check in with a, with a hymns, Amy and stay sober. So yeah. from that point on, it's not as bad, but initially they're like, oh, you have to keep doing all the things you're doing right now until you retire. And I'm like, do I want to do this until I'm 65? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a lot to deal with, but I really love that you used the Swiss cheese model. Um, it's definitely reminds me of my ramp days because we used right. to use that model as well. Um, <laughs> and it does make sense. Um, and I do like that you, they do have that step down process. So you're not required to do as much because initially all of the things that you had to do, if you had to keep continuing to do that year after year after year until you're 65, I could see like a failure rate, like, like increasing because there's so much required of you to do. Um, but I really do like your view of it and how positive you are. I think that your positive attitude, I really feel is one of the reasons you are able to talk about it today and be where you are today is because you've been so positive. Yeah. I mean, again, there is, there've been times where I go, this sucks and I don't want to do this anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. But I know that the end goal of like, again, the life that I have today, like in my wildest dreams, I would not imagine where I'm at today. Like I have a loving partner at home. You know, we are, we own a home in Denver. We're in the process of building a new home in Denver. Like uh, where I'm, I'm, I, my connection with my family is just incredible. Like my relationships have been repaired. Like, cause I did a lot of damage in my drinking, not necessarily acts of wasn't there for important things and for weddings and for births and things like that, where I just kind of was like, yeah, I'm going to go do my own thing and just like drink myself into a tizzy. Right. Mm -hmm. And so now like that weight is off of me. And if this is the price that I have to pay to have the life I have today, yes, yeah, sometimes it sucks, but like overall, I wouldn't be here today without. Yeah. Well, thank I think you that's so yeah, that's so wise. So I do, I definitely want to ask, as I mentioned at the top of the show, your at is at Fly Jake, but where else can our listeners get, you know, in touch with you or see any of your content? Well, yeah, probably Instagram is probably the best way for people. Um, and it's, it's so cool because I get to talk with people, especially people that like want to become pilots, right? So like I do a lot of like mentoring of like, hey, this is my path. This is how I got to the airlines. Um, but then more and more as I open up about my sobriety and stuff. Cause like in the past, like I wasn't super like out and out and proud about, you know, the sobriety thing, but now it's just, it's a part of who I am. Right. I have no reason to hide it. Um, I get a lot of questions from people. Um, so like, I love being able to talk with people through Instagram, um, for musical stuff. Uh, my website is jacobnelson.com. 
Um, so that's, you know, uh, the musical stuff is on there, but yeah, probably Instagram if people want to want to chat. So, and again, I'm happy to talk to anybody like, you know, uh, I was given the gift to gab, so let's go. <laughs> yes. I wish you I lived love- closer. Cause like, I would totally be hanging out with you and eating all the food with you. Well, as you both know, the invite to Denver is always open and I'm, uh, I live hey. about 10 minutes away from DIA. So, you know, Ooh, we'll come pick okay. you up. <laughs> and you get to meet the pug. Yes. Oh. I would love to hold your baby pug. Yeah. So cute. Pugs are seriously the softest dog. Like I, I swear out of every dog I've ever pet in my entire life, pugs have got to take the cake for the softest dog. And they're always so sweet. Oh, oh, he's a good boy. Yeah. Wait, he's a little what? salty that he's not in the room with me right now, but I'm like, I gotta, I gotta do some work better. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, we're going to do some rapid fire fun questions. Cause I do not want to skip over them. It's probably my favorite part of the episode. We kind of just do these <laughs> to get to know you better, but I'll yeah. ask you first. This episode is brought to you by visit Williamsburg in Williamsburg, Virginia. There's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Favorite restaurant where you live and why? Yeah. So newly, newly in Denver. So I've been here, actually we've been here about a year now. Um, so I'm a big breakfast guy, love breakfast. So there's this place called hashtag and they are very hash brown, hash brown central menu. And it's like mm-hmm. cheesy, ooey goodness and hash browns and like amazing omelets. So that's my favorite breakfast place. Um, yeah. And then, uh, Ita- like I'm a big sucker for Italian food. So um, there's this place called Quality Italian in Denver. Ten out of ten. Yum. When you said I, breakfast, I was like, "That's my kind of guy." I freaking love <laughs> breakfast food. I make breakfast for dinner all the time. It's like my favorite. I just did that the other night with my husband. Me and him were talking about girl dinners. Girl <laughs> like dinner. Make girl breakfast girl for dinner. dinner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean. Well, now that you're reminding me of breakfast, because I was like thinking really hard, like what restaurant? I did take Emma to this restaurant when she came to visit. It's called Little Cheerful and they do skillets um, mm. and they're in that, you know, in a skillet and they bring it to you and it's hot and they and it's very um, hipster in Bellingham. If you've never been in this area. Um, so everyone who's dressed there is like very hipster. I just love the vibe and they're super nice. So, um, that's my favorite place. That sounds like the kind of place that you could bring a pug on the patio with you. Oh, you told, you could bring him inside. He could sit on the chair with you. (gasps) Oh, he would love that. This is a very dog friendly area too. Like all the breweries allow you to have your dogs and they actually have a brewery called Paws, P-A-W-S for a beer where you can bring your dog. Um, obviously you don't drink, but still you can't <laughs> alcoholic stuff there. It's just like very community oriented here, which I love. And they want you to bring your kids and your animals. Perfect. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm down for that. I can have a seltzer water, you know, it's yes. all good. Yes. I know what about you, that, the vibes of that breakfast shop, immaculate, immaculate place. <laughs> I mean, to give you, to give you a gist, my cup said live, laugh, come see you. <laughs> 
Yes. Oh, and that was my cup. <laughs> they had they had an option on the menu to like order like a what was it called? Like a profanity pancake? Like yes, something know. very X-rated. Yes, the R-rated pancake, which of course yeah. my fiance did, which really shocked me. I was like, pop off king. Like I love that. Like lean into it. <laughs> I love this and for it you. Made me so happy. <laughs> I was like, yes. Um, but yeah, no, we won't discuss what was on his plate, but it was short. It was funny. a penis. Something we all like. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Okay, okay, okay. My favorite <laughs> restaurant where I live in why? Oh god, I honestly probably this is gonna sound awful. I've been ruminating on this question all freaking morning. I don't know. Like, I really don't know. I have not been able to eat out as much as I want. Charleston kind of sucks in the sense that because people come here for vacations and stuff, and because it is really like a city where you could eat anything under the sun, people come here to eat and they make reservations months in advance. So like all these amazing places, like I've been really wanting to go to this spot called Endaco, which is supposed to be incredible Italian food. I cannot get a reservation there to save my life. But if I had to choose out of all the places that I've been to, it would have to be, it was, I think it's called Sullivan's Fish Camp or Sullivan's Finest Seafood, but it's this really, really eclectic, really small, not even, I would say max 25 to 30 tables. 30 feels like too much. I feel like they only have like 25 tables in that place, but incredible just an incredible atmosphere there they have like a mural behind the bar everything is done like I don't know it's just the the kind of decor I've never seen before and I love fried flounder and their fried flounder is absolutely amazing like incredible um so yeah that's mine Sullivan's well cool so now I'm hungry thank you Sullivan's fish camp if you ever come to Charleston that's a really good place to go because it's at the beach too so it's I don't know it's really cool well, cool. Come out to Denver. We'll have breakfast and then I'll go there and we'll have dinner. How about that? Yes, girl. <laughs> we could do it all in one day. Theoretically. I, I think mean, there's, there's a nonstop. That's only three hours from Charleston. I think that sounds doable. Let's do it. Yeah. Right, let's do it. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Okay. So we got through everyone's favorite restaurant. So Jake, if you are taking your significant other on a date, what are you doing to wine and dine them? So we are definitely, I like like festivals and like street fairs and like farmer's markets and stuff like that. So like the ideal date would be, uh, we go like to a street fair and eat all the fried street food and then look around at cool, like vintage stuff. And yeah, that's kind of like the perfect evening. So we're getting to that fall, like cardigan weather season. So I'm very excited for that. I cannot wait. Okay. What about you, Maddie? I know yours is going to be like something bushy. Well, it's only okay. So I'm just going to tell you what we're going to do for Jesse's birthday. So it's on the 21st of September. Happy early birthday. Yes. I'm so excited. I love celebrating birthdays. Um, So obviously we just got our turkey and we're like, what can we use it? We want to use it for dates. And because we live in the San Juan islands, um, Jesse and I are going to go over to Orcas Island and you can camp out there and they have bikes that you can just take that uh, there's like five of them. And we, we, we did this last week with a friend, but we want to stay overnight there. So we're going to pack up all our tent stuff and, and maybe some hiking gear if we can hike around the mountain area there. But, um, we're going to stay probably for the weekend and just hang out at the airport and walk around the Island. It's like your very own Oshkosh. That's awesome. Exactly. <laughs> Without all the people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Minus everything. Okay. <laughs> <But it's all laughs> <fun>. <laughs> yes. 
minus um, the over but I do like those types of dates. <laughs> well, I'm like, okay. I said minus the overstimulation. This sounds yes. like my dream. Like yeah. Maddie, like this is you did this for him, but like also like secretly, you know that I would love this too. That's why marriage is possible. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Because that's so my vibe. So my answer definitely, it's like, it's so random. But honestly, I know what my man's loves. And he loves more than anything. Like, if I could just choose a day, like, if it was rainy, it's like a rainy day, there's clouds, he loves rain and loves the clouds. And he loves to go for a random drive to a random store, like loves tractor supply, loves like a random like, hardware store anything like that I'd take him somewhere like that we'd walk around we'd like see some things maybe like I'd buy him something cute and then we would go to like a very low-key spot like somewhere where you can get just like casual food maybe a beer like he loves a good IPA on tap he'll enjoy that every now and then and then we would come home and we would watch a movie and snuggle on the couch because that's really all he wants to do at the end of the day I think my favorite part of tractor supply I'd be like hanging out with little baby chickens like hey what's up guys (laughs) I know so that sounds great to me too yeah Zach is seriously my wholesome fun like he he keeps me grounded and sane because like he's just always down to do stuff like that and that's like what makes him happy. So he's easy to please. I love that. I love that about him. And that's this, my, my partner works from home. So that is the fun part is I'm just like, Hey, do you want to like go to Germany for a couple of days? And he's like, oh, let me yeah. grab my laptop. So yeah. that's amazing. Yes. You know, and now oh we're just like God. derping around in Munich because we can. And the do you ever seats. just go on like a crazy, like day trip? Like Jesse and I have done that before. We're like, let's go to Amsterdam for like just two days and come back. I in college I actually did that once where I was sitting in class with a classmate and we were like we both worked um for a different regional airline at the time it's a long story but anyway um so we're sitting in class I'm like dude there's like 80 open seats to La Hui this afternoon and it was Phoenix to La Hui and I'm like do you want to go to La Hui and he's like yeah so we like made us some excuse for like oh we got things at work we gotta we gotta go and the <laughs> professor's like okay sure bye and so <laughs> yeah we flew we flew outbound to La Hui the airplane sat on the ground for like six, seven hours and then flew back to Phoenix. And so we just like bummed a ride to the beach and like hung out for like four hours and then went back to the airport and slept on the way home to Phoenix and then went to class the next day. So it's great. Yes, <laughs> I love that. I've totally I- that with a friend as well. Like we were like, is there first class seats to Hawaii? And there was, it was like on a random Sunday and we did like the 24 hour go there, come back. But that was when there's there was direct Hawaii flights out of Bellingham. So yeah. Yeah. Those are the days. I don't know if I could do that anymore though. Like age definitely plays a factor. And if you're going to do like a 24 hour trip <laughs> for sure. Yeah. 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 Like before I'm like, yeah, it's fine. I'll just sleep on the beach. It's fine. But now I'm like, eh, let's, let's get a Marriott or better. So does my cool. seat recline. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know my, my partner, life poor guy, he, uh, we got to go, I got to take him, uh, in, in the first class product at my current airline and, um, I have spoiled him. Like, he's like, I can't go back. I know we did that with my parents and now they like expect it. They're like, so are we getting a first class seat? I'm like, oh my God, you guys. <laughs> my mom, oh my God. My mom is so funny. And she'll do that. I mean, my mom uses my benefits all the time. So she called me one day. She's like, bonjour. And I'm like, what do you mean bonjour? And she's like, I'm in Paris. And I'm like, cool. Thanks for the invite, man. Some of us have to work for a living, but whatever, you know, but same thing. She's like, is it first class? I'm like, okay. Really? <laughs> Bye. <laughs> bonjour. I'm in Paris. 
and Barry. I know that was that's what also my other goal. If this whole like piloting thing doesn't work out, I'm just gonna move to Paris and I'm just gonna sell bread on the corner. So yes, yeah. so buy a chateau, super cheap, run down, fix it up, learn how yeah. to live with no power, and like perfect, you know, humble beginnings. <laughs> yeah, 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 living my best bell, um, Beauty and the Beast life. Yeah. For sure. Yes, yes, for sure. All right, Jake. Well, it has been a treat talking to you today. I thank you so much for joining us and being willing to share your story. And honestly, for just being like open and honest online, I know that it impacts, it has to impact a lot of people. And one person, seeing one person, you know, be so open and honest really does have an effect on other people. So thank you for what you're doing. Um, it's a vital service. So if anyone wants to keep up with Jake, you already know Instagram at fly Jake, super easy tag. I love when it's hella easy and you can just remember right. it and type it in. <laughs> No, thank you guys so much for having me. And I really appreciate the work that you both are doing to, you know, draw attention to this. I mean, it's, um, it's in, in the past, it has felt like you're kind of voiceless against the machine. And I feel like there has been some really meaningful change and some really meaningful conversations that are happening. And it's a result of, of platforms like this. And so I cannot thank you enough and, and not just for me, but for the next person who, um, might want to take a control of their life. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so much. All right, y'all. That is it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us today. We will see y'all next week, but until then, remember to keep the blue side up and the brown side down. We'll see y'all next week. Bye. Bye.